All right, so Murph is not here, and while Murph is not here, uh, Bro will play. Uh, I have a co-host here, Cal. Hello. I'm glad to be a co-host today, and uh, grateful for uh, you just pulling this episode in, just out of your head. Just, I, I, I brought this to you, but... I, ju I just want you to know that I'm thankful that you played Dark Souls, because... <laughs> Because literally, the one thing, the one fucking thing Pavlos asked Murph to do was say, hey, rain in on the FromSoft talk. We'll let bro talk about Dark Souls. And that's why he uh, sat out, because he's a good co-host. And he's he's actually yeah, listening he, to Pavlos. Yeah, he, he honored his wishes, but uh, even then, it still happens. It still, it still goes that's on. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to interrupt and be disruptive on the show but uh you've played other games since then right uh you've played things like doom right yeah uh, i got way into doom the 2016 doom which is and you've already been like a huge fan of like old Doom. oh yeah right? i'm i think like doom original is a masterpiece and the other games are interesting too and more interesting is almost like the fan community and that early modding scene around doom but also how yeah. the doom and quake engines <laughs> are still like basically the format for the shooter like call of duty and everything was adapted out of the doom engine and so basically every fps on the market has touches of doom still in it even like uh half-life has like quake uh like the original half-life was like a quake engine mod like it is like so intrinsic to first person shooters it is crazy but what is special about 2016 for you i think it's the movement and the combat patterns how it like flows and how it creates stoppages in play, how you could kind of pause and still access your weapon wheels, and um, you have your melee kills, which are very brutal, and somehow they work in a system where those don't... Like, melee in a first-person shooter, usually, I feel like it's something separate from what I'm doing in the game, but it feels so tied in to, uh, um, like, health. It, it provides you, like, health yeah. and encounters with the chainsaw, will create ammo for you. So there's like multi-system level um, combat patterns that are interesting. And when you use those things matters and how you use them, how you approach enemies, how you set yourself up in a, a big arena shooter. Uh, I think it's the most natural evolution of one of those arena shooters with modern components. I agree. And then like, I remember when... I remember when 2016 came out, the biggest controversy was the glory kill system. Yeah. And I think now, looking back on it, like, yeah, we were just coming out of QTEs. So it was like, okay, yeah, what? why is Doom doing this? But, like, looking at how it functions in the game, it's, it's like, a little bit of a breather in pace. I think what's so brilliant about 2016's design is I'm going to – we'll talk about map design later. But, like, in terms of the actual engagements, there's, like, a pace and a rhythm to the fight that is really refreshing feels very doom-esque but has that modern touch and the glory kills i think are the centerpiece for that whereas that there's that sort of ammo balance and juggling to it and the glory kill gives you that little reprieve before you're back into the carnage it sounds so metal too it, it really channels what i love about doom which is just all of these you know like black sabbath or alice in chain songs and just all the stuff i listened to at that time um this so much isn't well there's no popular metal now so it has nothing to channel but itself so it's almost um recursive how it's kind of like playing out as like this is what doom should sound like now and it really does it it feels and sounds i think like what a modern doom could do um 
And I, I look back and I watched like their presentation at, I guess it was QuakeCon or something where they were uh, introducing the glory kill system and the whole room went crazy. I mean, it is a really impressive, like splashy system to kind of show on video too. Um, yeah. And uh, later on, I think you get a speed it up. I think you get um, some upgrades that speed up the glory kills and then it works very well in the rhythm of the combat. Um as you upgrade, and by the time you get to the end, it both, uh, because you have so many weapons to play with, it kind of loses something of, like, the exploration and the open-endedness, because it's just like, well, you have all these weapons, we don't need you, we need you to be shooting things all the time. So it's kind of built more around that, and, like, uh, just monster claws, it's just constantly spawning on you, rather than explore this, like, really beautiful, like, factory level with all this lava down at the bottom. That That ended up being, by far my favorite shooter level that I've played in years. Oh yeah. I think, well, I'm, yeah, I agree 100% that that specific level and pretty much like the first, I want to say like five levels, um, where you're really starting with the upgrades and you're also getting weapons. And like some of the secrets in the level are like weapons that you would get in future missions. And that is, that is like super beneficial. And then that's one of the reasons why the second half it goes for a more linear approach and it goes for a more just like a you've got everything you've seen everything let's just go for the spectacle um which i don't mind i, w- I wouldn't say the second half like falters no it's, it's still just great. like okay it, yeah it's still great but it's like that it's, you know when you get a meal for the first time you take your first bite and you're like oh my god this is amazing about like 50 bites in you know it's still good you know what I'm saying? You're a little bit full <laughs> by this point. You're a little bit full. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think the level design, especially in those first few sections, are also dense. And it's especially that lava section was like non-linear, but it non-linear in a way that makes a lot of sense. It was like you could go a bunch of ways, but it all felt very satisfying. I love Dune th- 2016. It's like such a such a fucking great game. <laughs> because I'm such a id fan as well. They really had been faltering for so many years. I uh, didn't have very many positive uh, id experiences as a fan who just wants them to make great games all the time. Uh, I, I played the Rages and everything, and they're fine. <laughs> um you know, there's yeah. lots of textures and, like, coating down to the metal. And, you know, there's still some of the uh, Carmack leftovers. We don't like to talk about him anymore. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, especially with, like, Carmack into, like, Rage. I think Rage was, like, the point where it's, like, I think Carmack is, I don't know, pushing too much influence. I mean, what I like about Doom 2016 is it's very back to basics. You know what I mean? And, like, there is still some modern innovations, modern touches. And, like, I, w- I would cite things like... Their influences are not just Doom, period. You could tell that there was Brutal Doom, the mod, where it's, like, more ugly and gory. Um, That Brutal Doom mod or um, Doom uh, 64, both of those are, like, huge inspirations for Doom 2016. And you can really see it on display. And I think that's just way more important than... You look at Rage 1 especially... And it's like a lot of like, oh, look how impressive this tech is. But the tech needs to support and, you know, back up a fun game. And if it doesn't do that, it doesn't do that. Two, you know? Also, two years following Machine Games, like work on Wolfenstein, you really wanted it to be 
at least in league with the other Bethesda houses that were making yeah. first person games. You, you didn't want them to if, be the yeah. second run studio. Uh, well, everyone else is kind of like, uh, we're, we're bringing your games back, but doing it better than you. So I'm glad that Doom is Yeah, better. if Wolfenstein is fucking fantastic and amazing, you know, 9 out of 10, yeah. you know, shit, then, like, Doom needs to step it up. You can't have a... We, we can't keep making bad Doom games. And I like Doom 3, but, like, it needed it needed a comeback in this way. I, I love 2016. Um, is there any other final thoughts on it, though? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I, I love that I, I finally got to it. And I'm getting to it, like, quite a few games this year where I'm, like, a, well, I've been a dad for quite a few years. And now that kind of thing is settling, kind of, like, fading into the background. Like, I just, I could leave my child alone and play games now. It's It's back. Well, also the strike happened, so now that you've got less movies to talk, well, you're going to have less movies to talk <laughs> yeah, about pretty so. soon. I mean, I'm already, it's already drying up out there. I'm becoming a gamer. So, so, um, yeah, yeah. So you're like, hey, Brogan, can I get on this podcast more? It's like, all right, Kala. It's like uh, inverse Gran Turismo. Like, can a cinephile become a gamer? Like, gamer to racer, cinephile to gamer. <laughs> yeah, you played Bramble though, right? Yeah, I, I like Bramble. I think I'm the only one who likes Bramble. Maybe, or maybe I'm the only one who played Bramble and has like. Thoughts. I, I think that's more accurate. Okay. I think you're the only one who played it. Um, Bramble is kind of like a these dark fairy tales of like Nordic origin, and uh, it plays a lot like Brothers: Tale of Two Sons, which is one of my favorite all time games. It's uh, it's that corny thing where people are like, oh, it's the first game that made me cry or whatever, but at least it made you feel something. Um, sure. I played through Brothers with my brother, and uh, that was, I think, like probably the last game we really played together. So it must have this meaningful uh, part in my mind where I'm like, this this matters somehow. And um, just like, uh, how do I want to say it? I, th- I think it, what's their name? Starbreeze? Is that the one who made a, a Brothers? I don't know. I can look it up. Okay. Um, yes, it is by Starbreeze. You got it. Okay. I'll edit this out. That's the magic of this is I can just edit everything. Sure. Or not. Depends on how lazy I am. And uh, yeah, it's like Dim Frost Studio and uh, Starbreeze. I think they're both. Uh, I think they're both Swedish, and they kind of have like an interplay, and like they're trying to do the same thing, and they're uh, presenting it in a way that our other recent uh, Nordic Tales and like Hellblade is kind of like that. Um, they're kind of all of a piece in a way that they're doing folklore in a really interesting way that I think it's developing out of, you know, um, these are Nordic stories. There's like a bit where you're chased by the Pied Piper and you're like falling in the water and he's like this massive creature that like comes up over you and, uh, you know, small terrifying scenes that kind of look like diorama, like little nightmares, but, uh, kind of pulled back a little bit, um. And just light fantasy. Uh, it's a pretty critical path, though. I don't think you could get very confused by it or its puzzles. So do you feel like the most compelling part of it was its presentation? Yeah, I think it looks great. I think Bramble is a interesting-looking game that kind of has its own aesthetic that is kind of like Brothers, but uh, is also a very, very dark interpretation of these fairy tales. You know, it's people like... Uh, put up on stakes and stuff and zombies and you like run through this butcher house and you have guts all over you it's a uh it looks like a kid's game but uh that's not quite the the whole story there well no, let me ask you then like is it because like obviously a lot of folklore stories are actually horrific is it is it horrific to be edgy or is it horrific to be more authentic i think to be authentic and i think that's why it works is that it's actually channeling like what the actual darkness of those stories are um yeah. and uh, you're kind of following after your 
lost sister. So maybe there's like an Ico thing there, but uh, just in kind of the presentation and uh, how it feels. Um, and it, it's very sweet and wholesome too, despite uh, all the darkness. Uh, there's a really crazy bit where you're like rowing a boat and this guy's like sitting behind you and he's like a grim reaper and he keeps putting his uh, hand over your mouth like it's chloroform or something and you're like going into an abyss and fighting him and it like the screen fades out to black. It's It has some scary moments that were a bit much for Ezra, but it's like just on that like knife edge where it's just enough that we could get away with it. Hey man, that's how I used to operate as a kid. When I was, when I was Ezra's age, I... I watch horror movies and like, you know what I mean? I don't know how your experience was. I'm sure it was similar. And it was probably too much for me to see for my little eyes, but it makes you, it builds character. I think my, my dad had me go into like the first Leprechaun movie at like four or five, whenever that came out. Um, that's not the best movie no, to see. I, to be <laughs> it's weird that that's like one of the things that shaped my uh, cinephilia is that the leprechaun movies which i've seen all of and uh like bramble and the only appreciator <laughs> yeah there you go um you also played uh the resident evil remakes really right yeah which i thought like uh two's construction was just so interesting because it elevates a really good game into becoming i think one of the classics in survival horror uh i think like what it does with the wraparound of the um the police station there is really interesting how it like structures that into the other areas. I don't remember it being so interconnected and all the pathways. Uh, I felt like there's a lot of rooms like created for this and in new spaces, but also it just elevates the parts that are already there. Yeah. I mean, did you ever play remake one? I did. Yeah. I played a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So like remake one is like also amazing for that. So like to me, at least after remake one, what that meant was is like when capcom makes a remake for resident evil it's a big deal that's how i felt so like i was super hyped for resident evil 2 and also i like resident evil 2 like probably way more than you to me to me resident evil 2 is a classic because it was like hideki uh hideki kamiya's first uh game directed and it's an action title but like mixed with horror and but what I like about the remake is you're right, is it makes things way smoother, makes things pop more, and a lot of the loose elements sort of are much more easily uh, flown together, especially something like the Mr. X segments. I think well, the Mr. Yeah. X segments are really good to uh, lampshade here because before it's like a very scripted event. Here, it's a much more lively predator encounter. And as we'll get to with Resident Evil 3, I don't even think they top that. I think Mr. X may be the best predator in a Resident Evil game. He kind of teleports around the station, but in a way that's convincing. Like, I looked at the AI logic and how it's, like, implemented in the game, and he just kind of moves around based on where you are. And there are, of yes. course, scripted moments, because there have to be with how the, the game's constructed yep. and what it needs and what story it's telling. But, um... And how you deal with Mr. X in these situations. Uh, but sure. I, thought, I found him so convincing. Like, it, I, I was worried yeah. uh, when he was around. I was uh, planning around him strategically and what I would do when I ran into him. Um, yeah. But also the interconnectedness is so well thought out that you could really, like, uh, kite him through some spaces. And you could kind of use the environment and, and kind of... Uh, I had, like, a very good understanding for the whole layout. Um more than I might have had in the original game, where it might benefit from yeah. moving those uh, uh, high-angled camera shots down to uh, behind the back. I think it really still reinterpreted the space so you understand it 
um, without those, you know, very uh, dimensional shots. I think it's it's good that they they uh, applied the Resident Evil Four thing without just making it an action shooter on its own. The way it ratches up the tension, because you're right, you get once you get familiar with this place, you get really like you in your brain, you can map out your plan for where you need to go next. And Mr. X messes that up at first. He does. But yes, yes, he does. But then you sort of like add him into the equation and you're okay with it. And then like, and then once the scripted segments pop up, no, it's just like a brilliant mix of game. And then like the, the scripted elements. And like, to me, it was a perfect balance where after playing resident evil three remake, I was like, this is not the perfect balance. This is like, too artificial i see everything happening it feels like i am i have been pushed onto stage and i am acting with a script and it's very you know blase for me nemesis just is so um unpredictable in uh resident evil 3 nemesis the original game he's just so hard to really track and know what he's going to do in this uh you could kind of read it better than mr x um you could kind yep. of find out what patterns he's going to do based on what you're doing. And uh, I mean, he follows you around the city and it feels like it's just going to keep building on that. But then, uh, you know, most of the game, he's not a real threat after that. Nope. Like, especially the second half of the game, it's largely scripted and it's like largely heavily scripted. And then, and then you sort of lose these elements and a lot of the base original game was cut out. And I understand that like there's points of streamlining, but here it felt like a different direction that I wasn't particularly comfortable with. Whereas like Resident Evil 1 remake, Resident Evil 2 remake, I'm like, whoa, this this succeeds. This is a good remake. Like you have you the, I mean? you the fight with Nemesis Dog below the clock tower, but then you don't get the clock tower segment. Like it's like no. whole sections and, and areas are cut from the game, which I think, you know, remakes ought to be maybe additive and not uh, minimizing of, of parts of the game. Uh, I think Resident Evil 2 adds things and uh, Resident Evil 3 strips them away and makes it feel more basic. I, it, it's not as good as the original. Yeah, it's not even like, yeah, it feels like a sequel to Resident Evil 2 remake in a bad way. And I don't know, like, I'm, I don't hate the game either. Like, yeah. I don't think you hate the game either. It's more just like, that's it. <laughs> you asked that question at the end. Yeah. I, I feel like the best part of it was just slipping back into the Resident Evil 2 police station and uh, realizing how well designed and oriented that environment was because I still understood it. And I went up to like a locker on like the third floor. I'm like, hey, I remember, you know, it's like DMC or, or whatever the code was. I was yeah. like, I already, you know, it's like there's a connection. They get, the code worked that worked in the prior game. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I do like Jill. I think Jill is one of the better uh, characters yeah. and I enjoy female protagonists. But like, yeah, I don't know. I'm mixed on it. Yeah, I just think it's such a straight line, too, from start to finish. Whereas... Oh, yeah, it's so linear. And it's like, so, like, you don't have to map out routes. You don't have to do anything. You can just... yeah. In Resident Evil 2, I left the Magnum behind. And I went through, like, all the sewer and everything. And I, I ended up coming back out into the police station and going and getting it, like, late game. Which I thought was just... That's a rare opportunity in survival horror. Usually I feel so funneled. Uh, we we may we may get to interconnectivity in a horror space <laughs> later on. Yeah, we shall see. But um, I played a game called Bomb Rush Cyberfunk recently. The, Calvin, do you know about this game? I mean, is it like why you think that's like relevant to like my interests? Is it? 
you could say that. I uh, remember a few months ago when you uh, recorded a podcast with me about Jet Set Radio, that little game. Hmm. That's making me smile a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Bomb Rush Cyberfunk is basically a spiritual successor to Jet Set Radio with a lot of the same developers, especially like specifically like the musician. Hmm. Um, I, I cannot pronounce his name. Don't make me pronounce his name. Um, but like even he is contributing to this and it feels like a sort of a Jet Set Radio revival. It doesn't really feel like that, do you think? Or is it? I mean, it's not graffiti, is it? Or is it? Yeah, you graffiti. You do. I would. I would. Okay. I w- yeah. I, I would say. I would say the one thing that would be sticking is is it's very much a sequel to Jet Set Radio Future. Yeah. I w- at, right after playing Jet Set Radio a couple months ago, and then going into this, I was like, "Whoa, there's some weird things here." First off, there's combat, but there was combat in Jet Set Radio Future. That's right. Um, and then, like, there's there's more elements other than inline skating. You also skateboard. And there's, like, just different elements. But I, what I would say is is it still feels very authentically Jet Set Radio, just, like, with a different uh, face to it. Um, the face is, like, I say it this way, is, is it definitely operates within the shadow of Jet Set Radio. Um, so if you're looking for something that breaks the mold and is as daring and is as innovative as Jet Set Radio when it came out, it, this is not the game. This is a game, especially for people like like me. I, I like Jet Set Radio, but like when I played Jet Set Radio, I was like, this game is a little stiff, especially if you're used to skateboard games or any sort of uh, inline skating game. Um, I would say uh, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk at least fixes a lot of the gameplay issues, especially with momentum and uh, jumping. That's good, because it's such a mess in the original game. And I think Jet Set Radio Future solves like half of it, but half of it remains unsolved. Yep, and I I, I would say it largely solves it. Um, And there's some elements that are really good here, too. I think the big sticking point and ultimate problem would probably be it's like story structure and mission structure. Like you're given these little mini playgrounds that are open, but then to progress and sort of collect things and move forward, you have to do these specific things and go to different missions or whatever. It's a lot better the further you go in. And the more you play, the more you appreciate what they're doing differently. It really works. Um, I would recommend it to you. I would. I think I think you would like this game. I think uh, Jet Set Radio 1 would still be like the place in your heart. Well, that's hard but, if it's my favorite ever game to, to really... Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's not... It's not replacing your favorite game. Jet Set Radio but, 1, like, I mean, it's because there was no other game. That was Jet Set Radio 1. So being that game again, I, I have that game. Uh, yeah. The, 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 one, the one thing that is noticeably different is I would say just like, I guess there's an attitude change. Whereas is like, I think Jet Set Radio 1, especially for the time it came out, it was a Sega game. Yeah. Um, it was on the Dreamcast. It was about and art it had and to... graffiti. And it was. Yes. Yeah. It, and it and it, I don't want to say it was ashamed of itself because it wasn't, but it had disclaimers. Let's say <laughs> where it was like crime is bad. Yeah, I think this game is pro crime. <laughs> That's good. And for that, I give it a thumbs yeah. up. I mean, does it still have the messaging in it? Does it feel like it's no? Okay. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, it has like 
thematic messaging, yes. But it's not like it's not doing the PR work. Okay. Does that make sense? I think it's now not concerned with that. Okay. So there are there like cops following you around or is it just Oh okay. yes, yes. You, you you fight other gangs and uh cops follow you around and hunt you down yes um the music especially if you're even like slightly curious i would tell you to listen to the soundtrack because the soundtrack is amazing and also royalty like not royalty free but like <laughs> license free we can use it here yeah. so this is great i'm gonna put i'm gonna put a song in right now boom happened <laughs> so so I, I would tell you to check it out okay um, i mean i like naganuma despite like his twitter presence i still like him um, so. he's 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 weird on, look, weird on twitter. if we had to judge everybody by their twitter presence, yeah. what is twitter twitter doesn't exist it's yeah <laughs> that's, that's a garbage bit um but you know what is not garbage quake 2 yeah uh night dive studios aren't garbage they're pretty good no, dude, I think I think this is the year of Night Dive. Keep in mind, Cal, that I played just last episode a System Shock remake by Night Dive. That was by them? Let me tell you. Okay. Yes. Okay, I'm in. And 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 it was they were fucking sick. It is top five games for me of the year. Is okay. System Shock remake. It was really good. I think Night Dive are at the top of their game. They're killing it. Um is, now they just announced they're doing Turok 3 and Dark Forces. I'm like, oh my gosh. That, <laughs> That's so this good. Is, this is great. Yeah. Yeah, the very first person shooter heavy episode on a Dark Souls podcast. Yeah. Um, um, but, uh, but, but let me say this. What was your experience with Quake 2? Because Quake 2 was probably my... I don't want to say my least played Quake. It's between that or Quake 4. Um, yeah, I mean... But I would say it's... I have not played a lot of Quake 2 before this. A lot of time in Quake, and then Arena just, like, dominated my life, and, and then it went on Dreamcast, and I was like, well, that's the best console shooter. Um, well, they're from Vancouver, Washington, uh, David's neck of the woods. That's interesting. There you um, go. Shout out to David. Uh, yeah, they're they're so cool. Um, okay, so, yeah, generally, they just seem to create, like, a compatible versions of like classic shooters for new consoles they're into remakes and remasters absolutely and i will say their quake one remaster was really good i loved it i like this one quite a bit too um despite not having like you i don't think i have a, a ton of uh quake 
too fondness. I mean, I'm not really the Quake guy besides, and if I am, it's Quake 1 or 3. I agree. No, I mean, I would I would be similar, Quake 1 or 3. I think Quake 1 is a really fun vibe, especially in the single-player campaigns. It feels very Cthulhu slash, like, medieval. It's a good vibe. It's like, even though it's like a brown palette, the brown palette really works. Mm. Um, and Quake 3 is just, like, one of the best fucking multiplayer games I've ever played. But I think what's weird is, and I will say this about Quake 2, this made me appreciate Quake 2 more. Me too. I still don't think it's, like, my favorite, <laughs> but I think I respect it. You know what I, I mean? I think it's incredible that they, uh, did Machine Games, was it, did they create the new map? The new maps? Okay, so um, so I, I had to, like, talk to Brendan okay. about this. So Machine Games created the first two uh, extra maps of Quake 1 remaster. Okay. Um, and then this episode, they had one made, and then I think Night Dive made that one that connects to Quake 1. I'm pretty okay. sure they made that one. So, um, yeah, and th those new levels are really good. Um, I played those. Those are sick. Um, I even played the Quake 64 bit, and I think the Quake 64 levels are fun. I think it – it, and I like the color – I think it hits the problem I have, and I said this to Brendan off uh, off mic, was is that it feels like the problem with Quake 2 is it feels like a game that you've played before. Mm. It feels very, like, safe. It feels very, like, goes back to Doom, but in a bad way. You're not facing demons. You're fighting the Strog, <laughs> and the Strog are just, like, these human robot components. Yeah. And everything just feels very Doom familiar, but less inspired than Doom. And then the color palette is a little mucky. I'm not feeling the normal vibe. And then Quake 64 does have color to it. But even then, I'm like, I don't know. I think it goes better places elsewhere. I think Doom 2 is the first time I watched people play a video game on the internet, weirdly. It was the first time I saw like online footage of what other people playing games and kind of learned from it. So... <laughs> Me jumping into like CTF here was just like a huge nostalgic hit for what Quake Two could be as like a the first like a spectator game that I ever had in yeah. my life on the internet. Um, and that's that was shout a outs feeling. to CTF. CTF is the best. It's good in Quake Two, yeah. And I mean, some of these maps are very informative for what would come in, especially Unreal Tournament. Like takes a lot of bites out of these maps. Two towers is ripped off here. Yeah, and I uh, and playing the first level of uh, the single player, it was very intricate. I noticed um, going through the the first levels of every um, ID game, it was like Doom One. I think Doom One, like Episode One, Mission One by John Romero, fucking masterpiece level. It's one the of those fucking. Level. Ever made. <laughs> it's like the one of the best levels you know you can fucking see youtube videos analyzing it you know what i mean but they get more complex and i think quake one's level was really good in its complexity i think quake two may be a tad too complex i think so i'm like okay yeah and like they tell you the missions constantly if you have to have text telling you constantly what you have to do um i think you start to miss the boat a little bit um 
you don't know. I still love the game. And Night Dive themselves, they didn't. You know what I mean? Like, they, they just remastered the game. So I think they did an excellent it's job. It's immaculate. And I jumped in. I mean, the netcode also very good. It moves very fast and just what you want. And I jumped into, after doing episode one alone, I jumped into a, a co-op. They allow, you know, up to, I think, four players to, like, play the maps with you. And uh, That's awesome. They have this ability where each player could choose to go back into the last part of the level. So my guys kept getting lost, two of them. Like, me and this other guy mm -hmm. were just, like, dominating the field, and we were, like, up front. And uh, when they go back to the start of the level and they hit back, all of you transport to the last level. So uh, they kept setting us back and getting lost and going back to the previous spaces. <laughs> so, like, just certain levels took us 25 minutes that could have taken 10. Uh, I don't know. Like, some of that is a little bit odd i think like maybe the host should only be able to progress the game but then you get stuck with like hosts that aren't doing the right thing you know it's complicated but i would also say that um i don't know about you i guess it's on game pass and you might have played that That's way right. but for me it was it was free it was like not even like a game pass thing um if you had quake 2 in your steam library it just auto it's amazing it's only 10 bucks if you don't have it too so it's super accessible That's sick it's like it's like wow. I wish I wish all games worked. Like <laughs> I know. Uh, I wish all remasters specifically. I don't yeah. know how much System Shock is, or if it has that same system. No, I mean System Shock is like a fucking real, real remake. It's, oh, it's a remake. Like, okay, it's more on that side. It's like a full-on okay. remake. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, highly recommend. Um, check it out. Are you ready for the variety minute? Yeah. all right this week's variety minute is from soft games um cal uh how much from soft have you played probably not like you play you've dabbled a little bit like three games <laughs> why am there i on this segment i feel like every guest you have has played more than me uh no i, I i'm I, very happy I'll, I'll tell you why i'll tell you why i'll say it now is because i think this episode where someone just plays dark souls is would be a million times more interesting than someone who's played Dark Souls a million times. I think so too. I think my opinion on it is kind of bad. I think the best opinion is someone who just finished the game. I agree. Your opinion's really. I mean, you need help. Uh, <laughs> and I'm here to help you. Uh, I got Thank Kingsfield you. on the PlayStation, like one of those original run long boxes, and I bought it because it was a long box uh, because I didn't have any of those, and it was, I think, like. $12 at a you know used game place um I I don't think I had any expectations and it seemed even archaic back then and I was so fascinated by it I I got so into it I mean you open like the long box and it has like the padded segment on it I'm like this feels like it's from a different place and it and like it's from yeah you know I didn't know these even existed before I even saw it like that uh so it was kind of like my introduction to the uh, kind of ruining my uh, game library by picking up weird sized and shaped things. Uh, the the most traumatic was maybe like Duke Nukem Forever. I got like the Balls of Steel edition and I stopped doing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, either way, technically because it was 
the American version of Kingsfield, that's technically Kingsfield right. too. Yeah. We didn't even we what's interesting is it's like we don't even get uh like so many games, especially for the PlayStation One. There were so many games that were not brought over, were not translated. And they found fit to do Kingsfield two and three. Um and they just rebranded the numbers. Um I may be I may or may not be talking about uh translations at another point in time mm. but um my big exposure is obviously dark souls i played a lot of the modern FromSoft games my first FromSoft game ever though this is gonna shock everybody was uh technically they published it i don't know if they developed it, it has the moonlight greatsword in it so i consider it an official from soft game uh is 3d dot game heroes for the playstation okay that, that looks that was, cool is that like an atlas thing maybe or I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know what was going on with that. Again, it has the Moonlight Greatsword in it, okay. so I'm under the impression it had heavy involvement, but I'm like 90% sure FromSoft published it because they have publishing things, and I don't know who made it. But either way, that game was like a Zelda game with like uh, voxel pixels, and you can make your own character. There's just like a lot of cute uh, things to it. Um, the main gimmick was was when you had full health, like in Zelda, you'd have a special power. But instead of shooting the sword, your sword just got really big. You could customize how big your sword got. So like it would like take up the entire screen when you when you mashed the. Uh, sword button it was really fun. looks like it it's super by the game. bravely default developer and then published by fromsoft in japan then atlas in the u.s possibly oh you see that that's that sounds tie-in. that sounds right okay. but bravely default is is uh it looks so cool and, and interesting i edited some review for that when it came out and i was i i gotta play it never did yeah um and also like i would say after that my first like my first real connection was dark souls i played dark souls one two three bloodborne sekiro etc etc i did go back to play um kingsfield and um shadow tower yes i played them yeah shadow tower looks um, so good it looks so up my alley i i think you would like it you would be frustrated at it <laughs> i was like super i was super frustrated at it when i played it because it's very um equipment focused so you remember like I guess you didn't play Breath of the Wild, but it has item degradation, right? And Shadow Tower is like heavy into the item economy, mm-hmm. so it it was very frustrating in that way. Don't like that. Where it wasn't yeah. even like, oh, I'm dying a lot. It's like my weapons are breaking, and it was like just. <laughs> oof. But but that being said, like visually, aesthetically, vibes based, it is one of the best fucking PlayStation One games I've ever played. I mean, my second experience of FromSoft, I think, is probably the. Um canonical one the adventures of cookie and cream was my Ooh, which brings us back to brothers because i love these games where you have to you could play it just like brothers on one remote playing both parties it's kind of interesting yeah the co-op experience where it's like tailored for that is really innovative honestly real talk the Adventures of Cookies and Cream was the one FromSoft game Pavlos would have would have really? okay back in like the day it. yeah that that was the one I, I would have done it, but here we are. Um, there's other ones too. Like, um, Echo Knight is a very like, it's it's a much more I wouldn't say visual novel based, but it's very like story based. You know what I mean? It's less about combat and much more adventure game esque. I think that's a better way to say it. Um, and I just love the spaces FromSoft plays mm. with, and FromSoft always um does something on their own terms. 
Um, I, I love that they push the player in ways that other developers may be afraid to. Like, it's common design wisdom to, um, you know, do these things and make the player feel good. If the player does something, they should feel good. And it's like, sometimes you should punish them a little bit. Or sometimes they need to feel other emotions. I think it's important that players don't always feel fun. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm seeing even more that I've played now. I'm surprised. Maybe I am a good FromSoft guest. <laughs> I have played <laughs> Lost Kingdoms on the GameCube. Interesting card battle game. Uh, I've oh. pl probably played something that almost nobody in America has. Uh, Frame Gride on the Dreamcast, which is also a oh mecha God. battling game. Uh, that's Japan only. I imported it. So. Oh, that's so interesting. So... It's yeah. See, they also do that thing where it's like, oh, this game is like this game, but it's different. It's armored core. I guess that's their. It's armored core, but different. Yeah, oh, it's that's okay. Customizable that's cool. mechs, but it's more like a uh, virtual lawn is kind of what I'd compare it to. Uh, you're kind of. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, which makes sense on like a Sega platform to have like the virtual lawn uh, series more connected to it, as whereas a uh, PlayStation fits the armored core brand better. Um, and I would also plug in, especially for these old Armor Core games. Um, we had a guest on last season called the, uh, her name was Theomini. Mm -hmm. Um, she covers old FromSoft oh, games. Cool. And like, for instance, every July 4th, she would play Metal Wolf Chaos, oh. even just this July 4th. Um, that game is a, also a mecha game. I played this too. <laughs> you play as the president of the United States trying to fight the vice president and, it's I've also played Chrome Hounds. I guess I have quite a few mecha games. Uh, I, I think I played Chrome Hounds too. This was like an early Xbox 360 right. game. This was back when the 360 didn't have games. I played Chrome Hounds. I just don't remember. Another it. Sega game where they have to do the mech thing again so they don't do Armored Core uh, because Sega yeah. isn't interested or wants to do something else, maybe. Um, yeah, they have a very interesting, like, <laughs> as far as a, a game gameography here i think they have one of the most interesting in video games it's it's all kinds of things and, and and but it also builds on each other that's one of those things like i also played uh eternal ring and eternal ring feels like kingsfield but like it's just like a slightly different flavor where it's much more focused on magic and focused on ring equips um compared to kingsfield which kingsfield is like I don't want to say mindless, but it's very like based on just what weapon do you have? Yeah. What spells are you going to use? And you've got four spells. You know what I mean? Like, it's a different game. Whereas I think they just build on top of each other. And that's so telling to their design philosophy now. Where it's like, oh, you can look at Eternal uh, Eternal Ring, right? Did I say yeah, the yeah. name right? Eternal I keep, Ring. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, nope. no, not internal ring, Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Uh, look okay. at, oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm dying here. Um, you can look at Elden Ring and be like, oh, I could see the the lineage. And like it, with Armored Core coming out Friday, like even then there's like a long and storied history of Armored Core. And it's just going to be so interesting to see where they evolve from there. Um, that being said, do you do you want to move on well, to the game of the I week? I mean, if the like the new armored core lets like the president like pilot a mecha with like a moonlight <laughs> fucking sword in it. I oh I wanna say I watched like a playthrough of a uh, what's it called? Uh Shadow is it called Shadow Tower uh, Abyss? Is that uh Oh yes, yeah, Sh Shadow Tower is, Abyss for Is the that the first person too, yeah. shooter where it's like the guns are like hyper like impactful and it's like Dark Souls but <laughs> uh, there's a lot of weapon degradation and you like lose your guns very quickly, which doesn't happen in Yeah, West yeah, Virginia. no, that's that, that's what I was trying to say with uh, Shadow Tower okay. One. Shadow Tower One also operated it was more of an evil 
Um, but there was heavy equipment degradation. But Shadow Tower Abyss has guns. And yeah, also, it, it, has it still has, like, the medieval armor, which is interesting. Because, like, it has these highly armored, like, fantasy layered guys. But, like, the guns still, like, fuck them up immediately. So you could, like, shoot off an enemy's head, but then their body still keeps coming. Or, or you shoot off their wing and they start crawling on the ground at you. It's so interesting. And hard to animate. Th- that's... That's what I love about these older ones too. Is is like they'll throw you for like a completely different vibe. One of my favorite fucking things. And I don't know if you remember this, but in Kingsfield Two, um, near the end of the game, there's like just a reveal where it's like, oh, everything's. This is actually a sci-fi game, and the fairies are test tubes. Yeah. Test tube baby fairies, <laughs> and then like, and then you get into the thing, and instead of just like fighting a dragon in a cave you go to a tron world and everything is in like 3d and like there's robot ants and then you have to fight a dragon in tron world i'm like man why does dark souls do this yeah like like, what are we doing here why haven't we you know sauced it up a bit it goes out there in a lot of like in kingsfield like in the whole series that it like the stuff doesn't it's not like as thematically coherent as some of the yes. Soulsborne games become. I agree with that. I think that may be one of the main reasons, but I don't know. I think there's there's something really to appreciate from their entire catalog. Mm. Anyways, are you ready? Oh yeah, uh, is uh, Soulsborne ready? This week's Game of the Week is Dark Souls. Dark Souls is a 2011 role-playing game by From Software and published by Bandai Namco. Directed by Hidetaka Miyazaki, the game features heavy inspirations from past RPGs of theirs, specifically Kingsfield and Shadow Tower, and having taken most of its gameplay and innovations from its spiritual predecessor, Demon's Souls, for the PS3, um, Dark Souls has stamina management, extensive armors and weapons with varied movesets, and unique gameplay mechanics, such as summoning and invading. On top of those, Dark Souls 1 is unique to its brothers in how interconnected and seamless its world design is. The game is about an undead making their way to the mythical land of Lordran and set on a quest to either link the first flame or usher in a dark age of man. Cal, what did you think of this game? It put me in like a dark age of man. Like initially I was I was like hitting my head against the game so much the way I was approaching it. It actually didn't really click with me at all till I played Resident Evil 2 and something in my mind kept telling me play it as survival horror like uh, play it as someone who's resourceful and sitting back and waiting for things to happen reading enemy behaviors and uh, kind of also conserving my stuff and uh, ensuring that I'm always at somewhere where I could reach myself where I could always uh, recollect my souls and, and refine my progress and uh, just like I treat death and survival horrors almost like trials before I go do the real thing. I started approaching I it more it. like that. Like I, I started taking more risk and uh, being rewarded every time I was doing it. And that that is when it like really clicked. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know if you'll agree with this. Let me ask you this. And this is like a vague question is, is do you feel like 
this is going to sound so cliche. I'm trying to say in a way that's not cliche. Do you think that there's a point in a person's life where they're ready for it? Not like emotionally or anything, but like there's a time where it clicks and there's times where it's not appropriate to play Dark Souls. You know what I mean? Where I don't it's think like, it was appropriate. Be... Well, like in my child's like early years, I think if I was doing this, it wouldn't. You have to be able to stop at any point and put down yes. the game. Um, and there's no and pause. not just that, but like it's also just like it has to be the right time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it has to be the right time for you to click. Like even me, literally, I picked up the game before and I would put it down. And I was like, this game's not for me right now. Like I don't get it, or like it's too hard, or something. Something's not there. And then like one day, I, your brain is different, and then it clicks. You know, and I think for you, you were able to clearly measure it by the Resident Evil connection. You're like, what if I approach this game differently? And what I think the game does really well in a design perspective is you look at it from the asylum period is, is that first demon. They don't want you to fight that giant demon. They want you to run away. They want you to ask different questions about how to engage these creatures. You're not meant to just spam the quick attack and forget about it you're meant to solve a problem and however you solve it is up to you and you're not always meant to take the easy way out you know mm. yeah and i think i was also really put off when i got cursed and i i thought that was going to like stick with my character for a very long time and it was so funny when i came back and i just gave it like an hour of my time like let's see what happens and i was able to heal it in you know like 20 minutes just by backtracking and sometimes curse is good sometimes i have curse sometimes i'm like good i'm glad i have curse yeah because as you go through the ghost bit yeah it is useful although you pick up so many like transient curses when you're in there it doesn't you know yeah it didn't quite matter for me because I had True. like 12 of them the whole time I was in there. Uh, they just kept stacking when I used them. It seems to offer you what you need, which is another thing survival horror does. I was kind of maybe oblivious to that, that it was giving me the pieces to solve its puzzles. Like it's, I think it's has quite a like reputation for difficulty. I think that's one of the least interesting conversations about it. Uh, yeah. I Like, I don't care. Like people talk about it's artificial difficulty or something and I don't, it, that's not how i look at video games sure um, but but I, what i would say is what when was the moment that it clicked for you while playing the game when when was it like oh i think i like this game let's see it wasn't i think it might have been when i got to like the uh what's it called like the 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 big dragon the gape dragon or the um the gaping dragon gaping in the sewers yeah. yeah the depths i think it's that part where he does the small reveal like he's a he's a small crocodile like peeking over the ledge and then he slowly reveals more of his body and you're like fuck it's a giant beast but then he keeps crawling <laughs> out and he has more legs <laughs> and i was just so amused by that and uh just like the idea of finishing him just seemed like something i had to do i i realized there was a a connection there um, and when I realized that, uh, when I like put away the things I know about video games and kind of work with it, kind of like I do with a shmup or a, or a survival horror or a strategy, which are my favorite genres that kind of suits that style of play too. Yeah. And, and also what I like about it is, is like, you're right. Like looking at gaping dragon, gaping dragon is such a great design because there's a little bit of a humor to it and there's a little bit of a horror to it. And it's just so beautiful. It's like, I love looking at it. And that's really what's 
super amazing. And I like, I don't think the environments, if Murph was on here, he would complain about the environments, um, which I can, I can understand There's like a kind of a gross palette to it, but the actual creature designs can be really like impressive, especially like the armor sets or anything like that. You start to see, you see both glory and majesty and some of the horrific shit. Um, it's super fun. Um, part of the reason why I like playing them is is because of that art direction like i i'm pushed forward because i'm like i want to see the next monster well i was watching the gaping dragon and like as he like moves toward you he's like dragging his teeth on the ground like he's like such a cursed like beast it's he's like yeah. stuck in there after he was sent out to like get all these souls or something from everyone and now he's just stuck in this sore and he's like devouring himself yeah, I thought that was such like a resident evil kind of design and coming off that yeah. going back into the depths I was like well this this area specifically is speaking to me in like why I play survival horror games. Yeah, and then you go into like like the sewers also has like the rats and it's got the uh, basilisks that curse you. But then you go into Blight Town and Blight Town's like to me Blight Town also makes or breaks a playthrough. Yeah. Like if you like Blight Blight Town, you will like the game, and if you don't like Blight Town, you may still like the game. But you know, but like if you like it. It's, you're you're good to go you know I what i mean even owned it on 360 i think maybe like bandai namco like sent it during like maybe award season or i don't know if, if it was like early review or something but i never played it like i all my friends were talking about how horrible blight town was and i'm like well i mean i like really rough around the edges games but like ones where like the frame rate just drops out aren't, aren't for me i didn't get that at all on the switch so i'm like relieved by blight town pretty much fixed the blight town frame rate issues how was its performance on the switch um different i think because it's locked well i don't know if it's always at 30 frames per second because anytime there's like a quantity of enemies on the on the ground around you it kind of really slows down into a slideshow but um also all of the uh sound quality is recorded at like a steady like very strange minimal sound clip it's very it's very strange how like limited the sound design is but it's in such a crunchy way that it almost yeah. added something like I've, I've only seen people complain about that. This is the remastered one, so uh, I don't know how that is across the other systems, but it's it's very crunchy and, like, the sound is somehow limited in, like, file size or something. Yeah. Um, I do like the sound design, um, so I'd, I'd have to check on that. But, like, I like the sound design of this game because, like, I think what's important is Dark Souls 1 has a really good sense of weight. You feel, you sort of feel the weight of the armor on your character, and you feel the weight of the weapon you're wielding. And when you hit an attack, not only do you see the stamina go down, but you sort of feel how much stamina, you know what I mean? Like, you feel how much stamina you're expending. I think so. You you kind of immediately get a sense for like how many swings you have, and then that kind of pattern kind of informs how you're going to play around that. Yeah, no, like that. I in that way, I love its combat. I think people overrate its combat a good bit, but <laughs> I think in that way, it's really good. And I I particularly like in in level designs how they do enemy engagements. They they often try to do little they try to do little tricky things like putting them in traps. Or, put, you know, just doing things where you have to least expect it. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of testing your alertness in that survival horror way. Where it's well, like, if you're just blindly going through the game, yeah, you deserve to be punished. The mechanics are interesting, too, because they're so, like, formally focused around uh, success in, like, specific ways. And yet there's also, like, a, a cue management where you could almost, like, interrupt the thing you're doing and almost frame read what the enemy would be doing. Uh, yeah. 
I hear they like cut that out for the next one, then bring it back later. I, I think that's a bad decision to cut it. I think it's so interesting that I could almost like Estes Flask and like break out of like a combat system. Um, yeah, it, it's weird. I mean, it's weird and contradictory, and I like all the piles of contradictory systems that. They're very, very interesting. I found that every time I put the game down, it, it became all I could think about. Um, I've been just fixated on Dark Souls. I've watched so many videos. I'm I'm even watching those uh, seven Dark Souls-like games now. I've watched all these videos. Uh, there you go. The Iron Pineapple ones, those are good. Yeah, I watched and a lot I of his stuff. Oh, those are those are awesome. And like seeing the community make games is like that's really interesting. Um, and I also want to say last year, um, another content creator, uh, Illusory Wall, um, he he is super into the mechanics of these games. Like you'll see thirty minute dissections on the complexity of these mechanics. We're talking. Do you know? Do you know about vagrants, for instance, Cal? Do you know about this? I don't know if I do. Uh, I did watch some of Illusory Walls stuff. Uh, I mean, some of it's too much. <laughs> I, I get it. But, but, let, but let me go through this. Vi let me just give an example for the listener how complex a mechanic can be. Okay. Or like just how unique it is. You know, we have the co-op stuff. We have the invasion stuff. But a vagrant is literally a very specific kind of enemy. You may not have even seen a vagrant, Cal. What are they? Um, they are little crab eggs. They're little crab eggs that show up only when a, another person playing the game online dies. And if they like lost something, like if they lost humanities or if they lost a lot of souls, then then those crabs come out and then those crabs go into another person's game and they'll go away like they'll 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 attack you and they can attack you while you're sitting at a bonfire they usually spawn out near bonfires and they are just a like i've seen literally i played this game a bunch i played this game probably over like 10 times i've seen about three or four that's it okay well i stopped playing online also and that's what also helped it click because uh on the switch just the context to use is that i like to put the system down in between and every time i'd put it down and, and it would just fall asleep it would close the game out because of the online connection um, yeah um which is which is a good thing in my opinion this game is also really good about not only just having these mechanics they also encourage you to use the mechanics but if the mechanics feel too abrasive which they can definitely be um, you have the option to get out of it. Like, there's ways to solve or work around every complex mechanic this game has. I think I found that, too. I think that's another thing that interests me, is that there seemed to be not quite, you know, multiple paths to everything, but there was always a system or an entry or a way that it, things were connected that I could work around. Yeah. How did you feel about the game's level design in terms of interconnectivity? I think it's one of my favorites all time now. I think just the way that Lord Rand is connected and how it feels... Um, and how you keep finding new spaces it's almost a better discovery than like one of the best of all time like super metroid like when i connect back to a space i feel such a weight of the world in it and I, I, when you keep finding new things um i had to guide through some of it i would have never found like ash lake on my own uh no i many people don't that makes sense because i wasn't hitting you know uh, a lot of the chests by then until i got to the duke's archives so uh, yeah let's see uh some of the spaces are more video gamey than others like sen's fortress is uh lots of traps and like video game segments and and like a run 
of mechanics that you have to use. But but I also enjoy this. Like for me, like I like its balance. Yeah. Because like I I feel like it's not always one thing. I think Firelink and everything around Firelink is really interconnected in a way where it's like, oh my god, I thank God I'm back at Firelink Shrine. Oh, Jesus. Yes, exactly. I just went through. I just went through hell. I, I, especially when you go down into Blight Town, you're like, I don't know how the fuck I'm gonna get back. That first time, you're like, wait a second. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it's sometimes I, I went through the depths, and I just thought, well, there's no way back up. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. to me. But there is. They, they thought about it. They thought about all that sort of stuff. And then when it gets to things like Sen's Fortress. I like, then it becomes very calculated. Sense Fortress is one of my favorite areas because it feels like a very sculpted haunted house. I think Murph complained by how unnatural it feels. And I think the game feels unnatural. The game does feel sculpted. And I don't mind that for this experience. And especially like, I know I always get, I always get Zelda vibes and I get Castlevania vibes. I get heavy Castlevania vibes from Dark Souls. It's almost like what I wish like Lord of the Shadow was like that that 3D exactly. Castlevania game. Hundred percent. I would want I would want a three D Castlevania to be like a Souls game. I started using the whip a little bit like late game, just thinking about Castlevania, and I was like, I wish it were this. Uh, I wish it were like yeah. this in some ways. Yep. No, and, and that's what that's the other thing I love is is like it's a very varied uh, weapon set. Like you can stick with the same weapon throughout the entire fucking game, and you'll be fine. But you could also, you know, experiment with the fucking 500 or whatever, more like 100 different weapons yeah. and find something really satisfying there. And there's also a lot of systems you can't engage in in one playthrough, like sorcery or faith. <laughs> so, way, so I, I didn't have sorcery until I don't think I fired one sorcery until like the last areas of the game. That, that was you were funny. a strength build, right? Yeah, I went I went full. um Full strength, Oonga full caveman, Oonga Boonga, yeah, all the way. There you go. Yeah. Did you uh, did you do the Havel thing, which is like wearing the heavy armor, so where you can just tank hits? I kind of did at first. I was when I was doing uh, Ornstein Smog. I was like, maybe I should do the Havel thing, but uh, I I was so used to being that fast. Uh, I used I people think get was, used to fast roll. Yeah. yeah, like fast roll is pretty good, and yeah, people get used to. Like it. when you combine it with your weapon hit, and you can kind of fast roll around the bosses. I, I mean, just the havel is so slow. Uh, yeah, but I no, did 100%. use it occasionally until I got like the black knight, and that seemed like the better havel suit. Anyway. Yep, and the black knight stuff is also really good. Like the black knight halberd is like if you get that weapon early on, you can just fucking stomp the game it's a it's a stomper um anyways let me ask you this is is like do you did you feel like there were what was the primary feeling with this was it like relief or was it triumph or what bosses made you feel things <laughs> uh, several of them maybe maybe feel different things i would say uh some of them like just well some of them are built kind of easily so you feel some sorrow about it like the the moonlight butterfly is a, a very sad boss because it's just yeah. so easy and beautiful and then also once you get to like the crystal caverns they're not aggressive like it, it almost seems like you were the attacker when you were in the uh 
in the uh, what do you call it the the forest areas what do you call it the i think that's route? also fair for a lot i think that's fair for a lot of this is like i think that's one of those that i guess we can get to it when we get to it but yes i think you're an aggressor in a lot of circumstances i think so too because mostly people are just waiting and they're just there and they're inhabiting their worlds and trying to live out their version of of what they're doing Life. like trying to hold <laughs> yeah. on to the light um yeah and, and you're going in and being like i just want to kill everything some of them you are think... erasing permanently from their space yeah and i think i think later games do more with that but i think there is especially for some bosses there's a lot of touch of sorrow or it's like a very mixed feeling sif is a really good example as well where there's a majesty to it it's a very well-designed boss it's a giant dog with a sword super badass but then when you get it down to low health it starts to limp and you start to feel bad for it and then if you do the DLC, you realize, oh, like, oh, this dog was heroic and had a partner. And you know what I mean? Like, he's protecting his master's grave. All that stuff is super sad. Super sad. Wow. What, what, what a story here, too, on top of that. So, like, when you play it, things really start to pop. And then there's also elements where, for me, like, I know your big one was Ornstein and Smo. I think that's Just, everyone's big yeah. one. Um, where you hit a wall. And you're like, I remember you saying, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and and we had to tell you, you can't. If you could do Ornstein and Smo, you could beat the game. If you beat Ornstein and Smo, you could beat anything. That's yeah. that's what I say, and I think that's true. I realized eventually that it was just going to be the, when the right attempt was. It wasn't going to be like whether I could, but I think like, Steven's advice just to go back and like finish everything else is what kind of kept me in the game. Um, because yeah. I was able to do quite a bit, uh, and I realized I, I didn't know I had that much left on the table in other spaces. I became the defender of the forest and uh, Sif before I killed him <laughs> with, with the cat. Uh, because otherwise, those guys all run up and attack you every time you. Yeah, it's good to join path. the covenant. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I did say. So I even like joining the covenants. I didn't feel like I was a good guy, and I was exactly allying with the, the situation because. I joined a covenant to protect Sif, and then I murdered him. Yep, yep. No, you like a lot of the times the covenant's just broken. It's yeah. like fuck yeah, I want to. Yeah, like you're not you're not a very moral person in this game, and I don't think the game judges anybody for it. And like even the good and bad endings, which I guess we'll, we should get to later. But ultimately speaking, it it makes no judgments. It makes no claims. It's just what you like, and you're left with it. You know what I mean? It's still the story you're telling yourself. Uh, what's yeah. immersing from the game for you is kind of what you take away. And I, I did make judgments about myself. I was glad with Sith that I was kind of like in his legs and I didn't see him limping because I, I don't like taking out dogs in games. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, they really try to humanize Sif. Um, And they also like, I think a really good one as well is Gwyn. I think Gwyn is a really good final boss because he hits the somber notes like his his music is amazing and i think the music in this game is just really good in general but like it hits the somber notes and it hits the sad notes but there's still like a fierceness to it it doesn't feel like it's a lame duck um there are some bosses in from soft which are lame ducks i think those are also thematically interesting but i think here for gwen it works for what it is they say like they're you know have some regrets like that it just became a parry test but in some way that might show that some of his power is broken some of his influence over you like he's he's not ornstein small he's not the most powerful 
creature in the game, despite not being a yeah. lame duck either. I think it's a nice balance between. I I agree. Like it, it it it's that mix, and I think FromSoft hits those points for a lot of it. Whereas like there's a lot of tragedy in you know the majesty you're going through these ruins and you're like wow this i bet this was really cool back in its <laughs> yeah like all these areas would have been pretty sweet uh before the light was faded out of them and all the dragons came and, and yeah what what was what was your favorite uh area that's i bet i bet it's the painted world i think it might be painted world. i mean that was such a quick area though that i i feel almost regretful that it would be like the area I spent the least time in. Um, but I think like as far as aesthetics and like what I want, I think that that might be the area. Um, all of them grew on me. I didn't like a lot of them when I first got to them until I kind of found my way around them. And jeez, uh, oh, I, I really like Blight Town too. I must be a contrarian there. Um, I, I, no, I, I get it. I, I like the shanty towns. I don't love yeah. Light Down the most, but I like the mud shanty towns of FromSoft. Mm. I'm a big gutter fan. It's a little brown uh, in there, but um, just the way that the levels connect is really what's special to me about the spaces. Um, I didn't like Duke's Archive very much. Uh, uh, some of the areas you kind of just float through. Some of them are, are very quick. Uh, I, I think the second half of the game in general is less thoughtful yeah i think so. um it's a lot more reckless it's a lot more i don't know the words for it you sort of you sort of glaze over a little bit um i don't mind the duke's archives and i don't mind Nido. um i love uh new londo but like you i play new londo before i finish in orlando that, that might so, be it i think maybe new londo is one of my favorites as well that in the painted world uh, aesthetically yeah. and what they mean and what the lore could be even as a non-lore yeah. person i'm still reading so much into how i'm approaching the game i mean you don't have to worry about it, but like you know it's a ghost city yeah. you know what i mean and like the, i think that's super important too is is like i think when people engage with this game you don't know every mechanic <laughs> off the top of your yeah. head that's impossible you don't know every fucking lore thing you don't know this or that but you engage with the things the way you do personally and what you attach to becomes your experience with the game. So your experience becomes different from mine, even though the basic building blocks are the same. Well, I kept having questions in my head about characters and how they connect and what they're doing and what their spaces mean. So like I, having such a like immense library of people who have played the game and having it be like the most conversational video game that's ever been online just like having that depth of access of, of so many people have made videos about dark souls like everything i want is there people love fucking talking about dark Souls, and like i think that's one of those things too how many npcs did you like experience i don't know like you know i mean i don't i don't know if i fully experienced them because i read that they all have like quests and things i didn't yeah. really fuck with any of that I, I didn't my first time through either like so Lair has quest line endings and you don't you probably didn't see them he no. has two quest line endings one I'll, I'll tell you them now and see how you feel about them one is and this is the most common one is is when he's in lost isolith he becomes uh subject to a parasite and the parasite is like a crown on his head and it Whoa. shines a blinding light and then he just goes crazy and says i'm the sun and he just tries to kill you oh, and then the other one is is you can summon him for gwen Okay. And then theoretically he would link. 
I, I think yeah. that would have helped with Gwyn because I, I did, it did take me a couple hours getting through Gwyn. Um, Gwyn's hard. Gwyn's hard at first, especially if you don't have parry timings down. Um, but anyways, I, I guess I'm getting too far off things here. Um, I, I think the other thing I really like about Dark Souls is, is that community aspect you were talking about. And it's not so much just the lore. It's it's everything, really. It's like it's that sharing of experiences. Um, you have a really good backlogged review of Dark Souls, which I would recommend people read and go to his thing. And you compared it to and I've compared it to before is Zelda. Very right. Common. Zelda yeah. one specifically where these experiences are very tough. And you go through them, and it's not like crazy. It's not ghosts and goblins or like schmuck difficult. It's just you know a challenge, and you go through them, and you share these experiences, and it makes the experience fuller and richer because you shared them with someone. I didn't mean to write nineteen paragraphs on backlogged, but I realized like reading through there, I'm like, well, Dark Souls is well covered everywhere, but I could be the best review in only one place on the internet, and this might be it. So. Uh, I think this is also a game that, like, you think, at first you think there's nothing to talk about. And then it's like, oh, my God. Like, the more I want to talk about it, the more it comes out. Like, I guess this is another thing to talk about. We can edit this if you don't want to talk about it or not. But, like, I also find that this game is a really therapeutic game. Does that make sense? That's, Where I think, what I, I found this week, especially. I think that's yeah. why I finished it this week, actually. In my head, you respond to this sort of, like, that's how I do it. It's like, I responded to this game. I don't know if it's the difficulty. I don't know if it's the Metroidvania elements of, like, exploring a space. It Maybe it's everything done, but... You respond to it through your trauma, and it's sort of a way to work through it. And like, you really start to appreciate the game more that way. I don't know; it's weird. Well, you can, I mean, leave it in and everything. But yeah, I was like, I brought it to my cabin, and I was like, well, this is going to be like the game that I play there. And I have such strong memories and affinities for the games that I brought out there. They're always very specific things. Uh, Resident Evil Remake was one. Super Monkey Balls, uh, Time Splitters Two, uh, just some of my there favorite games ever. I always brought there, and I. I wouldn't even bring a game that I didn't absolutely love to there. And then, like, mm-hmm. while I was there, I found out, like, my grandma was going to be in the hospital and it was looking pretty bad. And, and so, like, I, I, you know, I'm glad it was on Switch because I got to experience it through certain things in my life that I I wouldn't have just been able to be on the TV for. Uh, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> maybe nobody's playing, nobody else is playing Dark Souls in, like, a waiting room or something, but it's something you can do with the switch but they may be yeah and like that's i think that's super special about a portable but like i don't know man it it's just like a it becomes a comfort game in and i think and to touch on maybe something you've experienced in movies and film i think horror does that a lot i that's exactly how i use horror i use like that's why under the skin or whatever is my favorite movie because it makes me confront so much about myself uh yeah and i also feel uh such a intense anxiety every day that uh when i see someone processing something more intense that i feel which it feels like death oftentimes like i often feel like i'm dying or something so when i see someone else processing something heavier than that i'm like okay i can you know i can sit back and watch and it gives me a perspective not like a relative perspective but something like there is pain in all parts of life and that's okay i yeah and i this this game's all about pain, let me tell you. Well, um, I, sorry, I also knew, like, my, my grandma was fading, and I knew, like, the, the day I was just going to play through it, and I was like, 
I want something for today where I've I've done something that I've always wanted to do. So I was like, what if I beat Dark Souls today? So I played it for like eight hours and I was like, okay, I, I did it. I, I did something and like, just like clockwork, like a couple hours later, you know, I get the call and I'm like, thank God I did anything I feel great about today. Yeah, no. And like, I think that's also super special here is, is this game does feel like an achievement and it feels like an experience and i think games should strive to be experiences they don't have to be fucking complex stories but they should be something that sticks with you after you're done after you put it down a book should do this a movie should do this and i think dark souls does that and i think that's really special for games and i think it does it in in ways only games can do you know what I mean? I think you're right, though, um, that I, I use media that way. I don't use it at all to fluctuate my feelings because maybe because I, I'm in recovery and I'm like very hardcore about what I do to like moderate my feelings. But but anytime like something traumatic happens in my life, I go to a movie. I always like have to have an association for that day. That's better than the thing I'm doing. But, you know, and like someone may call it escapism, but um. I think it's a different way to engage. It's sort of like, it's like a dream. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And when you have a dream, it may not be anything related to what's going on in your real life, but it is. You it's know what I mean? It's almost like a traumatic reverie that you're slipping into and allowing yourself to process the emotions by going through something harder or, or exactly. more extreme than you're able to, you know, think about it later. It's creating space for heavy yeah. feelings. Dark Souls does that so beautifully too. I mean, that's what I ended up that's what elevated it to like a 10 out of 10 like you know I, I don't know if it's like a top 10 game but it's really close and like in my list and i i love demon souls from what i played but i i was surprised that that dark souls even eclipsed what i thought of that yeah and i think like to talk about in comparisons to demon souls i think demon souls is more creative a lot of the things that you see in terms of mechanics are from demon souls mm. however dark souls has that organic feeling to it um demon souls feels even more constructed even more directed um here there is an element of the organic world um that feels good you know what i mean like the firelink shrine thing isn't i mean like the the metroidvania elements are gone and those really work here. These work, these work so well that when later games don't do that, people will go, where is it? You know, it's missed. Yeah, that's know? what I'm like most hesitant about jumping into Dark Souls 2 about is maybe I should go to Elden Ring or something because I can't play Demon's Souls yet. Um, I, but I also think it's super important for all these games to have their own identity. I agree, yeah. And, games should be different. Yeah, games should be different. But like also like, now it's going to occupy a specific space in your memory that Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, none of these games are going to compete with. They may have their own space that may be more valuable to you one day, but it's important for them to have their own identities. And I'm thankful looking back now that Dark Souls has its own identity beyond things. You know what I mean? Um, and I understand. I, to me, to me, no game or no, nothing is perfect. But in terms of like, meaning i think this is one of the best games for it um i'm trying to think of other just fun things to talk about who is your favorite in pc of the game was it solaire yeah i think like everyone i i'm drawn to solaire because he's, Did, he's so interesting I, i'm a huge fan of patches okay yeah I'm patches huge... is such an asshole but i think like his tests are are interesting and he always like uh seems apologetic after he fucks me over so 
You, I mean, you don't mind him. He's a nice guy. He means well. <laughs> he teaches me things in the games yeah. usually. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, like he will punish you for being greedy or <laughs> things. It's cheeky. I just like cheeky. I like I like a mischievous guy. He's fun. I think this game um, punishes greed quite a bit, actually. Yes, it does. I, th I I would agree with that. There's a lot of mimics in the game. If you take things for comfort too, where where if you're if you're ever too comfortable like for instance you let lotrek live and i'm not saying i think this is one of the problems of the game too but like you let lotrek live and lotrek kills a firekeeper so your firelink shrine uh goes out after you ring the two bells so then you don't have a, a bonfire but and that's okay you I, don't need one actually uh, true no you're 100 because true. I, I think was, the game is i was still able to like warp to there so i don't see why i would would have needed one actually well i mean some people miss it let's just say <laughs> yeah, sure some people wanted that character in their game and now it's gone based on a choice they didn't know they made possibly yeah you know i and i think the game doesn't communicate that properly or at least you know what i mean like i i think there's some ways that it can communicate npc quests better or like locations of where npcs are um but that being said um what i do like is is like yeah the game tests your comfort and if you're ever too comfortable you need to like it pushes you and agitates you and it's like no you need to be more hands-on and you need to think about what's going on and i hope i, I appreciate that and i think the game does a lot there and i also like the extra content we glazed over the the painted world here but the painted world and the dlc are both really really valuable experiences and even if you didn't spend a lot of time in the painted world i think and it goes back to the ash lake thing this is like i i would still tell people to do it yeah because like visiting a place like if you visit a town and it's like you have to go to this one location to eat i'm not saying that because oh my god this is the best thing ever it's more like it's a memory you so, know what i mean bro what what would have happened if i went to ash lake before i had my warp would i can you get can you climb back out or how do you i'm so, uh, i'm pretty sure you can warp out same thing with the abyss no like before uh, you, you have your warp what if you're in blight town and you and you just go into ash lake can you how did you how did you warp out of the uh oh you had the lord vessel by that yeah, point yeah i did you can warp out of you could cuz like when i do the cough thing um i you can just warp out okay that makes sense cuz cuz there's no way out of the abyss either okay that that makes a lot of sense cuz i was like wondering as a design that was the first place i got where i was like how would you even leave here yeah 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 no um, and also, technically speaking, if you didn't go to that bonfire, you could do uh, Undead Bone or whatever. The Homeward Bone, okay. that's what it's called. I, you could do I that did too, read but... you could maybe like climb the trees back up, but I would not want to do it. <laughs> I don't know. Game's, this game's bad about platforming. This game's like really bad about movement in that way. Um, and it sucks with the Great Hollow, and it sucks with Bed of Chaos. <laughs> um, really? I, I, what was the Bed of Chaos problem? You know, I don't think it's like super annoying. I think a lot of people overrate how bad it is. Yeah. I think I think the big problem with Lost Isolith and the Bed of Chaos is it feels undercooked. I uh, I, I don't mind it conceptually, but the you know the Bed of Chaos fight is is like there's huge sweeping things, there's falling ground, 
and you're not really sure where you're able oh, to okay, go and you're about fight. to be swept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The boss yes, fight, chaos. That's, yeah. the name is Bed of okay, Chaos. Yeah, I forget. They sweep the you and you can't jump super easy. <laughs> if you could jump super easy, this if this was Elden Ring jumping, this would be a different story. But like, you know, it, it just doesn't gel right. If they, if they spent more time in the oven, it could have been a good fight, but nah. I mean, all you do is like disable the two sides and go down the middle, but you still do a little bit of platforming jumping on that thing, and that's yeah. I thought that was yeah. pretty good at the platforming things. I enjoyed them. <laughs> Maybe from the blight town, I, I spent so long. There. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't hate them, but and I also like the fact that it saves your progress. Like if you die, it remembers if you killed the sides or not. Right. Yeah. That like that. That's... Because she just sweeps you off. I mean, like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no like skill way around it. It's just whether or not you get swept. Well, no, I mean, like, there's, there's what. There's it's a strategy. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. I, it's annoying. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I got to what is it, the area before New uh, Isolith is uh, the fire area, the demons. Uh, yes. What's the demon called? ruins or whatever? The demon ruins or whatever. Uh, I kind of ran. Well, you found the demon fire sage. Yeah. And the, and the centipede. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? What about it? Well, I just ran through them. Like, there were all these beasts there, and then the, the Capra demons, and I didn't do any of that. And I felt regretful or something that it was just. Oh, well, Cal, I'm going to unlock something in your brain. Yeah. And this is this is my cynicism here. You can do that with most enemies in these fucking games. Yeah, I realized that when I was in the. Uh, uh, what was it? Yeah. Uh, in Orlando, what do you call it? Is that the right name? And, and Orlando, Orlando, yeah, 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 that's yeah. But but like it's yeah, a lot of these are empty spaces where the enemies are like not slow, but like you can run them, you could run past them, and they try to solve it in different ways. In later games, they'll try to have the enemies be more aggro and faster. Um, I don't particularly like that. They tried to solve it in Dark Souls Two by adding so many enemies you had to take care of them. But to many people, that seems like laziness. And I get it. Like, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. But, like, those are just ways to solve the problem. Because I'm going to be real. I just run through most enemies. Like, that's, yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? Well, wouldn't especially you? especially in some ways where it's like souls. Souls are only so valuable as you can spend them. And leveling only gets you so far. There is a lot you can spend souls on, especially, like, weapon upgrades. But, you know. Well, once you've it, leveled, it's kind of like. Okay, it's time for my run, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, once you get to a certain point, I think you're, like, already, like, level 40 by Blight Town or something. And I was like, you're fucking fine. If you just level once in a while, you're good to go. You're not... You were never under level. No, I think I, you know I, I mean? did fine at maintaining level. I forget what I ended at, but, you know, I felt competent in the game. Like, I didn't yeah. feel like I was lagging behind. I thought my weapons were fine. Uh, I never fired a... Arrow. I think I fired one arrow at the at the lady. Uh, uh, How'd you feel about that? That's the other thing cool. I like about this game, is is I think this game is really cool about secrets. And there's so much to the that's left to the player, and there's always just expectations that are different. So like, what I like about this game is it sets you up on like this player quest in a very Zelda way of like, oh, you must become king and you must do this heroic thing and then like the further you get down and dig down into it you're like i don't know if this is a good thing or not this may be a bad thing <laughs> and and then you start to realize you know the people that are pushing me towards this may not have the best interests at heart for me and um 
and by the end of it, if you link the fire, you're being burned alive. You are sacrifice. Mm. You know what I mean? You're you're a ritual sacrifice. It's almost as if uh, Jesus Christ and King Arthur came together and uh, just died miserably. The other the end. ending's so cool, though. I don't know why you. I don't know why you'd want to be a sacrifice. <laughs> I agree. When you could be king of the Dark Lord, you could be the Dark Lord. That's fantastic. Like if you could go hang out with the snakes or burn yourself alive. I mean, it just seems obvious what you would do uh, it's clear i mean you don't need lore to figure that one well, out i already like yeah. defeated all the powerful people in the area so nobody's going to come fuck with me i, th- I feel secure in the kingdom now um <laughs> then why are there two why is there dark souls two and three yeah it, <laughs> also scared. what's the what am i do I, am i supposed to take anything away from the loop that i'm the same character does is there like a lore thing i i think people especially when the game first came out did feel that way whereas like new game plus is canon okay where it's like oh like this thing when dark souls 2 happened in 3 i think that sort of washed that way but but that being said is like the main themes of dark souls 2 and 3 are like yeah this is still going on like you're still being sacrificed or you could still you know what i mean like the the issue is still ongoing i I would say thousands of years later yeah i mean i wish it were almost a mass effect thing i want to bring my guy in but um (laughs) <laughs> uh, you could in theory you could uh sure, why yeah, not? you could redesign the same guy i guess uh i, I don't know how silly did your guy look it, not that silly it looked the same the whole game uh after blight town i was in the red robes and i had the gargoyle helm until i had the black knight outfit which i think everyone probably ends the game with uh, black knight helmets yeah I, lo- I love the black knight so i was just a black knight when i restarted the game but the the whole first game i was red robed it looked That's cool. Uh, it looked like I was a pyromancer, but I didn't have that ability until uh, until I restarted the new game plus, and I was five minutes in. And I picked it up off a, a dead guy just walking around like the the banister around the prison. Um, <laughs> oh, you missed it. That's that had to have been what you did. Is if that's the case, then you missed it. That's very funny that I uh, that I went the whole game, and you know I found out at the end of the game that you could use a staff and summon powers, but that I didn't have pyromancy is really funny. Yeah, well, no. What's important is is like especially for anyone just starting out, like classes don't matter. Like they only matter like in sort of like getting you a head start in what you're doing. Yeah. But like you can find everything in the game. You know what I mean? So, so how do you feel about the people that want to do like a, a solo level one run? Do you do you care about that? I mean, I don't care about it. Okay. I think it's I think it's interesting that you can do that. I think that's cool. Is I think it says a lot you, about though? the game. No, I don't. It doesn't interest me. It's like like going through any game under level. Just it. I mean, it seems like extra work and time. Yeah, well, what's interesting is is things like uh, the pyromancy flame. This is one of the big things I do know. Pyromancy flame doesn't like scale to that stuff. It like it ha- is is it's its own thing. Okay. So you could just keep upgrading that bad boy. It's a weapon. You could just keep upgrading that bad boy, and it it does damage. You're you're not really missing much. The thing you miss out much on is health. So when and, they like, that's the when they say soul level one, they're still upgrading their weapons. You think? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, that doesn't to. seem that interesting. That's. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the, the weapon's powerful independent of your level at some point. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, people, I don't know. People just don't want to get hit. People, people want to be like, oh, look how good I am. And I get it. No, that's good. It's impressive. I want to say that, like, uh, the depths was, like, the area that having pyromancy could have helped me with because everything's kind of weak to fire down there. And then, like, the Blight Town area, it could have helped. Uh, 
But. Yeah, and then but once you get to like, once you get to Quelog, I I touched up on this game. I replayed it just a okay. little bit before this. Um, Quelog, Quelog's a little tough to that. I had to like, I had to like just break out an axe and just hack at her. I loved Quelog, uh, by the way. One of my favorite bosses. Uh, I think she had a great design. I, man, Quelog's cool. Hot Quelog spider is lady cool. is cool in my book. Yeah. that's the other thing is is like this game has like metal album vibes <laughs> that's what i love about it. i think that's the horror vibes I'm, I'm after actually yeah it's like the aesthetic it just it just feels cool um yeah and there's a humor to it too like i the game is funny at points it's really funny so. sometimes when it doesn't explain itself it's kind of funny um one of the games in like the the seven new dark souls was like it did you see it it's a penguin game about uh i I have not seen it okay it's called lies of penguin (laughs) (laughs) and it's about like a penguin uh guy but it kind of like explains what's happening like the the penguin reacts to like the contraptions and i think that takes away what makes dark souls funny which is characters sometimes not reacting to their situation uh like yeah you getting like taken up by a bird like rolling into a ball and just being airlifted by a bird is really funny Uh, it does funny things the the game's logic feels weird it has like that adventure game logic like i I, especially when i had to explain things i was like when you're like how do i get to the dlc i was like oh my god no that was terrible (laughs) i i it took me forever even once you told me i i i couldn't figure out why the golden golem wasn't showing up and then had to go do this other thing first and then he would show up i mean i wouldn't have figured that out if i bought the dlc and just installed it and didn't use a guide um that's a problem. I, I think. know. I, I know. And then same thing with, yeah, just in general, the game's not, game's a little too obscure at points in communicating things. And I think, I think there's an element of it to appreciate, but then like, I don't know. At the end of the day, you're just going to look it up. That's the problem, <laughs> right? Is it's like, it's not special. Like that DLC entrance is not like, oh my God, I really benefited from that. <laughs> it's kind of cool so, once like, you get there, but you know, <laughs> Like, it's a good DLC. I, I would highly recommend the DLC to anyone. Artorias is a great boss. Manus is a great boss. It's a cool area. It's fun. It's fun. Well, it's great because like the hand like reaches out and grabs you. And you're like just pulled into this other space. But then it does add lore around everything you've experienced. And you're like face-to-face with the boss. That Also, the dynamics seem different than the rest of the game. Camera maybe yes. seems a little bit different or further back. Or maybe the battling seems faster. Uh the game, yeah, I would, I would say one hundred percent. The battles seem faster. The bosses, I think, are like a set pace because by that point they were already in development mm-hmm. on Bloodborne. Um, were they? So, okay. and, you, and yeah, and there is, do not, uh, there is a DLC character in Dark Souls One called the Marvelous Chester, and he's got like a mask on and he's got like a Victorian suit. He feels very Bloodborne esque. Um, and then Artorius and Manus are just very, very fast. So what's and the, it's not like they're what's the timeline so it was this then uh what came out right after this uh um dark souls well dark souls came out bloodborne was pretty much like nearing development stages uh around this time and then dark souls 2 was basically alongside bloodborne so bloodborne and dark souls 2 are like opposite ends but also have very symmetrical things in certain areas um but yeah like that that would be the timeline there i had bloodborne and a friend played through it when we lived together and i was like oh well my friend's already into it and you know it kind of became his thing 
so I never, you know, I could have gotten into Bloodborne. Is, is that a thing where people just claim ownership? I think so. Like, this because, is my thing. Well, it was, well, I was in the game and it was like my character. And then I, I came and my friend was playing. I'm like, oh, I guess it's his. You know, <laughs> like it was like he was doing stuff and doing things that I wouldn't have done with the character. And I'm like, that feels wrong. That's not me anymore. So I still have Bloodborne, actually. And I, you know. And I had Demon Souls at one point, and I had Dark Souls. It's amazing that I never finished one till this week. Well, no, I mean, I think that's the other thing. Is like, I don't bought Demon Souls. I did buy Demon Souls back in, like, I don't know, 2010, 2010 probably. <laughs> um, and I did. I, what happened was, was I played the first level of Demon Souls. I beat Phalanx. I kept restarting the whole game. Because I got frustrated at the human thing. So in Demon Souls, and this is they fixed, they changed this after this. Is is like in Demon Souls, you have full health if you're human, and if you're in spirit form, which is like just the casual form mm. where you don't upgrade yourself, you you don't have ha half health. And I'm like, I am never having half health. Fuck this. <laughs> but but if you do that and you die in human form in a world world tendency starts to go black and then the game gets harder yeah so world so demon souls is demon souls is very complex but abrasive yeah so i jumped off demon souls at first and i was like oh fuck this and then eventually i got around to it and i love demon souls now um i don't know though dark souls still has a place i think it's special it's a special game I think it's special little boy. I think everything's called souls like for a reason. You know, I mean, it's just, I think it's yeah. dark souls is the reason why not quite demon souls. It didn't pick up. It's like the, the I had like near and dark souls on the PS3. They're like the games that seem like they're buzzy and that, yeah. you know, nobody really played them until, you know, near automata and dark souls. So they made them cool. Yeah. Uh, Platinum's another developer that I just respect so much. It's kind of, comes from the same places of those like 90s developers from japan that were starting yeah. around playstation era hideki kamiya yeah there we go. kamiya there's a lot of kamiya isms in from games that i could tell yep there, there's there is an action element and the games get further into the action elements as they go they they streamline way more i'll be curious to see what happens with armored core i'm gonna play armored core this will be my first official armored core like especially like on a serious playthrough not playing 30 minutes and going i don't i don't know what's going on here i think it sometimes that happens too. still yeah i i mean some games you just bounce off because uh, well not all games are meant to be played right in that moment in your life like you said that's that that's what i was saying earlier is like uh, from soft games there's a time and a place, and sometimes you're not there, you know? It was interesting, because I had this on the Switch for two years before I, you know, I had it for one year, and then I started talking to you, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to play it. I got to the depths and, like, put it away for a year, and then I just, all at once, just everything happened. Yeah, yep. No, and that, especially when you get on a roll, and you have momentum, and you're like, oh, I understand this game. The game goes by fast. Especially if you ever played a new game plus, or if you ever replayed the game again, the game will go a bajillion times faster. I know, like I'm, a bajillion. I'm really fascinated, actually, like looking back at the spaces. Now, I haven't done a ton. I've, you know, got through the first boss. I went to Firelink and kind of like going toward the depths, but I haven't like gone in. Um, but the but the spaces feel smaller now because you're like, I know where everything. Is. Like, I know where I am. It's like when you're a child, but then you revisit as an adult. It's it's totally yeah, different. like the small town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, this is my small town. This this cursed place. 
Seattle's too big. Uh, um, I did watch some like some of the illusory walls of like like spaces that are unfinished and just like the level of depth that people dig into Dark Souls with is unlike any other game that I can imagine. Oh, illusory wall does hardcore shit like him or like Zuli or anybody like that. They they do they do hard work into the and it's always fascinating. And I love to see like the maps. Like yeah. I, I love his videos where he's like talking about how the levels are literally interconnected and you could see the map and you're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. It's fascinating. And just like him, like going, uh, clipping off and, and seeing like what the, the world looks like from perspectives you didn't get to see it is all very interesting. Any other thoughts, Cal? Have we gone like too deep? Is this like maybe just deep enough for someone that's into Dark Souls? But I tried not to go super balls to the wall do you have questions I, I can go balls to the wall deep now if you ask questions this will be the extended segment here well is the world impactful to like the next two games or are they are they something else like it, what do you is mean? the lore significant going into dark souls 2 is it expansive does it okay is it reflective because it's a new game director right yes so all right i guess to say it like this so miyazaki the director of this game he moved on to bloodborne mm. and most of his team went to bloodborne so there's like a sort of meme slash thing going around that um the b team made dark souls 2 i don't think that's fair to the developers no that's never um, fair. Tana, like like tana more okay so it also went through development hell shibuya was the original di director of dark souls 2 um he ended up getting off the project like halfway through there was a bunch of assets made and then tana mora who's been around since the kingsfield games had to make a dark souls 2 with what he had so he really salvaged the project into something good but to answer the question how do the sequels function what happens is dark souls 2 is a com I, i'm trying to think of the way to say it the game is about how distant of a time it is so like the premise okay. of dark souls 2 is is like imagine dark souls 1 happened so long ago that it doesn't matter to anybody but it's still mm. happening okay and it's still ongoing despite it's just like the the cycle the flames yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but like yeah. but like for instance the gods of uh dark souls 1 are forgotten like in Dark Souls 2, it tries okay. to do like a Roman thing where it's like they renamed the gods. So like it tries to do a history thing. A good visual metaphor for Dark Souls 2 would be the Lord Vessel, the giant bowl in Dark Souls 1. That is a very small, broken piece of pottery in a basement. Oh God. So okay. so like it's yeah, it's meant so. to be like that. You don't like if you just play Dark Souls 2 for the first time, that would mean nothing to you. And it's not like the same spaces, is it? Or is um, it it has, it's meant to areas. evoke similar vibes. It, there is like a okay. there's similar sections, and there are meant to be repeats and echoes um, thematically. Mm -hmm. So it's like, ah, oh, yes, you're fighting a giant pile of corpses like Nido, or you're fighting a hot woman that is a part of a, an arachnid. Only now it's a scorpion. You know what I mean? Okay. So like you, yeah. there's there's repeats, and I will say. After what happened with two, um, people I don't I don't know if it was backlash or they just changed perspectives. Dark Souls three deals a lot more hands on with 
the story. So like Gwyn and all it's that the stuff. same director as yes, Gwyn, right? It's like he comes the director comes back and he sort of makes things a little bit more streamlined into, well, we're going to address what happens in one. Um, I think a game director is very important in the right studio. There are a lot of American games where you can't tell who is director. Yeah between even sequels of franchises it doesn't it's almost it's not quite a thing the way it is with japanese which has been the way that video games have been for a long time you can't tell the director of an atari game but uh, nes game you basically yeah and i mean like uh, for a lot of people in the community uh miyazaki has made a name for himself as a director and mm. and it, it 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 made him so successful that he is now president of the company like that's a right, yeah, big deal. So um, and I will say... Does he still work well, on designs? Did he... Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Like so what happens ring? is, is like, to defend my boy Tanamura, because I'm a Dark Souls 2 fanboy, <laughs> uh, Tanamura yeah. is pretty much the co-director. So, like, Elden Ring. Elden Ring, um, Miyazaki directed, co-directed with Tanamura. So I'm guessing... Yeah, oh, I'm getting, like, a weird feedback. Um, anyways, um, yeah, but there can still, still contributes. I don't think he directed Armored Core. I think he, I think what happens is, is he sets up development, sets the direction and then lets the director handle things. He's also very collaborative. Mm -hmm. I have seen like in interviews and just the process in general, um, that he is very open to other people in a community sense for development. Here's a good example here. I've I've got two examples. Uh so Guinevere, the 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 goddess lady, right? Mm -hmm. Um yeah. you remember her for her uh assets, right? Yeah, uh, amazing chess ahead or Sure. Um originally that was not a thing. <laughs> that was not actually really? going to be a thing. No. Like what okay. happened was is the person drew it was super proud of the poops. And Miyazaki was like <laughs> okay. and Miyazaki was like well, if you're that proud of it, I'll yeah, sure. <laughs> I think it's the only time you have to kneel in the game. Which <laughs> yes. Interesting. Um, and then another example is is there's a lot of artistic liberties with uh, translation. So like Frog Nation, who does the translations for these games to America, um, what happens is they send the translations over to Miyazaki, who can read a little bit of English and says whether mm -hmm. or not the tone is right. Or if something is completely different to what he says, He'll either correct it or he'll incorporate it and he'll be like, oh, that's a good idea. And then he'll change the Japanese text <laughs> to reflect that. That's cool. So, like, there's a lot of in interactivity with the development that I think is important for a director. It's not so much like an auteur experience as it is leading. And I think that's a super important thing here is Miyazaki is really good at organizing and leading a direction. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. The, the game language is very interesting. It's always talking about contraptions and... And strange things that you don't usually use in game language. Once again, like an adventure game. Uh, the other note that I didn't really touch on that I, I thought was very important is there's not a lot of music. It's used so sparingly, yep. but it's so effective when it's used. Yeah, and you remember it. Like, you, you'll vividly remember what you're left with. And that's so cool. Like, yeah. If there's music all the time, you wouldn't remember the music. Yep, yep. And then, like, when it happens, it's either bombastic. So it's like, oh my god, fuck yeah. Or it's like sorrowful and like there's like a, you know, it, it. a lot of those moments we talked about earlier regarding boss fights, like the Moonlight Butterfly, the Moonlight Butterfly's theme is very sad. So it really sort of is one of the big punctuation points to tell you, yeah, you should feel bad about killing this thing. It did feel terrible and it was so 
Uh, I mean, it's nothing's easy. It's just nothing's easy or hard. It's just how you do it is sad. Yeah, exactly. That you're just kind of hidden behind this thing and you're just, it's so easy for you to dodge, but it lays its head down for you. Yeah, it has to, yeah, yeah. That's the sadness that you have to whack its head to get it down. Sad stuff. Yeah, I I mean, I I did feel quite a bit of things in this game. And if I didn't feel something, I I think that's important in my favorite games. Like, I think, like, the philosophy of a game, like Ikaruga or something. I love a very difficult game, but one that, that one's, like, about uh, polarity and uh, differences. And uh, also not firing it's like the it's the most interesting shmup because well your point system could be much higher if you if you don't do anything if you use your shields the right way that philosophy is so interesting in game design that's what really draws me it bends and breaks the conventions like ikaruga it bends and breaks the conventions of what the genre is supposed to be so when it does that it really starts to pop as its own identity and um i think dark souls does that too um and uh yeah it's just fucking i think it's a really good conversation i think it, uh, having this beginning perspective i hope is meaningful to someone else because a great experience oh and, and also uh, i'll say to you is like it also transforms a bit after you're comfortable with it like i don't know how much you're going to replay it. you may not replay it at all but like if you play it down the road five years from now it'll be a different experience for you and it'll be just it'll be super fun i don't know it's it's something that sticks with you. It's like a movie. It's like your favorite fucking movie. When you put it on in the background, you're like, oh, this is comfy. Yeah, I'm not deleting it from the Switch. I, I have thought of playing it on Xbox, seeing what 60 frames per second might feel like. Oh, don't spoil yourself but, now. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want yeah. to do that. Once they put Dark Souls 2 on the Switch 2, then I'm good. They're not going to do that. <laughs> once you said... Once, on the second once, Switch, Once maybe. you said that yeah. uh, the game slowed down a little bit when there was a lot of enemies, I was like, oh, Dark Souls 2's done. That's not happening. There was the Demon's Chamber one where there's all the, like, the Tauruses or whatever, and once I approached them, it became, like, just, you know, uh, it became, like, Kingsfield frame rate. <laughs> Yeah, Dark Souls 2 is not happening on the Switch then. No. Oh, well. No. And it's, such, it's so good on a Nintendo platform because uh, they have a lot in common somehow. I Yeah, it's it's like that. It feels very classic. It feels classic in a way that's like, you know, it, it, I guess it's a thing to say that I'm glad we kept talking here. Is is like, let's look at the games that came out in 2011, Cal. Do you remember the games that came out in <laughs> fucking 2011? Well, I remember Deadly Premonitions 2010. That's well, my main note around this period. Well, let's just say Deadly Premonition was a bar of quality compared to some AAA games. <laughs> well, of course it's the best game <laughs> of that year, 2010. No, but you know what I mean. Uh, is It's like AAA games back in 2011, things were very stale, especially like in terms of tutorializing. I think that's a big thing here. I think that's one of the reasons why people kept claiming or overhyping the difficulty was back in 2011 the games were starting to phase into qtes tutorials and a heavy sense of just guiding a player cinematically and we haven't gotten out of that era that era is just evolving in different ways but dark souls was sort of a refutation or a justification for no old game design principles are still valid you know did it really come out like the same year as like Skyrim? Was that, I think so, yeah. That looks like 2011. I mean, that's very interesting. Yeah. As like a counterpoint of how 
uh, messy a fantasy design could be exactly. without principles and without philosophy. Um, yep. Looks like yeah, yeah. I mean that that looks like a messier Portal Two. Maybe is my yeah. I was I would say been. probably Portal Two is probably the best of twenty eleven. Yeah. Aside yeah. from Dark Souls, of course. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to say now. Uh, both uh, two of my favorite games. Uh, yeah. No, but like just in general, I think I think this came out at a time where FromSoft was evolving and like yes, we finally have a game not only complicated enough or sophisticated enough for our fans was something that can really pierce the cultural zeitgeist um hold on hold on 2011 what's up i I have breaking news uh pushmo came out uh saving the episode for pavlos who uh is very disappointed in the outcome of the show i i played pushmo pushmo was good i love pushmo pushmo belonged on the 3ds because i like the 3d that was the old was the (laughs) only game i liked the 3d for 3ds well, they say like Mario Land 3D might might have like some of those same like tendencies like in the world design, but I don't I don't care about that. I think it's interesting as a puzzle, as a puzzle. Um, yeah. 3DS used as a puzzle is very interesting. I agree. I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I go play Pushmo. Go go yeah. play Pushmo. The... Thank you for joining yeah. me and thank you for this uh, experience. I think this this was probably what I wanted a Dark Souls conversation to be, not like. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there was a million ways this could have gone, yeah. and instead, just getting it from a person who just responded to it, who likes it but just played it, that's beautiful. And still pronounces like some of the things wrong, but I but also has like stirring emotional connection to it. I think it's interesting. The game's hard with pronunciation sometimes, because sometimes sometimes yeah. they don't say the name out loud. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think it was a blast. No prob. Uh, we're we're fading out because I don't know the next game. I think the next game is Riven. I think I think we're doing Riven still. Is this a bridge between like PAX also? Is is Murph going to be? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's one, he's skipping next yeah. week for PAX. That's what that's what's okay. going on. Uh, I'll also be there. Uh, I guess I'm. Announcing there you go. That's what I'm talking. Have you already booked appointments yet? 